Chapters thirty seven and thirty eight of Lena Rivers by Mary Jane Holmes. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Thirty seven. Durward. From place to place and from scene to scene, Durward had hurried, caring nothing except to forget, if possible, the past, and not knowing where he was going until he at last found himself in Richmond, Virginia this was his mother's birthplace and as several of her more distant relatives were still living here he determined to stop for a while hoping that new objects and new scenes would have some power to rouse him from the lethargy into which he had fallen constantly in terror lest he should hear of lena's disgrace which he felt sure would be published to the world he had since his departure from laurel hill resolutely refrained from looking in a newspaper until one morning some weeks after his arrival at richmond entering a reading-room he caught up the cincinnati gazette and after assuring himself by a hasty glance that it did not contain what he so much dreaded to see he sat down to read it paying no attention to the date which was three or four weeks back accidentally he cast his eye over the list of arrivals at the burnett house seeing among them the names of mr h r graham and miss l r graham woodford county kentucky audacious how dare they be so bold he exclaimed springing to his feet and tearing the paper in fragments which he scattered upon the floor considerable kind of uppish peers to me said a strange voice having in its tone the nasal twang peculiar to a certain class of yankees looking up durward saw before him a young man in whose style of dress and freckled face we at once recognized joel slocum wearying of cincinnati as he had before done with lexington he had travelled at last to virginia remembering to have heard that his grandmother's aunt had married died and left a daughter in richmond he determined if possible to find some trace of her accordingly he had come on to that city making it the theatre of his daguerrean operations these alone not being sufficient to support him he had latterly turned his attention to literary pursuits being at present engaged in manufacturing a book after the sam slick order which to use his own expression he expected would have a thundering sale in order to sustain the new character which he had assumed he came every day to the reading-room tumbling over books and papers generally carrying one of the former in his hand affecting an utter disregard of his personal appearance daubing his fingers with ink wiping them on the pocket of his coat and doing numerous other things which he fancied would stamp him a distinguished person on the morning of which we have spoken joel's attention was attracted toward durward whose daguerreotype he had seen at maple grove and though he did not recognize the original he fancied he might have met him before and was about making his acquaintance when durward's action drew from him the remark we have mentioned thinking him to be some impertinent fellow durward paid him no attention and was about leaving when hitching his chair a little nearer joel said be you from virginny no from york state no from pennsylvany no maybe then you are from kentucky no answer be you from kentucky yes do you know mr graham's folks yes said durward trembling lest the next should be something concerning his stepfather but it was not settling himself a little further back in the chair joel continued while well, i calculate that i'm some relation to miss graham be you acquainted with her durward knew that a relationship with mrs graham also implied a relationship with himself and feeling a little curious as well as somewhat amused he replied related to mrs graham pray how why you see said joel that my grandmarm's aunt she was younger than grandmarm and was her aunt too 
while she went off to virginia to teach music and so married a nabob know what that is i s'pose she had one gal and died and this gal was never heard from until i took it into my head to look her up and i found out that she was lucy temple she married an englishman first then a man from south carolina who is now livin in kentucky between versailles and frankfort what was your grandmother's aunt's name asked durward susan howard returned joel the howards were a stuck-up set grandmarm and all not a bit like t'other side of the family my mother's name was covendike and yours interrupted durward is joel slocum of slocumville massachusetts at your service said the young man rising up and going through a most wonderful bow which he always used on great occasions in a moment durward knew who he was and greatly amused he said can you tell me mr slocum what relation this lucy temple your great-great-aunt's daughter would be to you my third cousin of course answered joel i figured that out with a slate and pencil and her son if she had one would be my fourth cousin no great connection to be sure but enough to brag on if they happen to be smart supposing i tell you that i am lucy temple's son said durward to which joel not the least suspicious replied wall s'posin you do twon't make it so but i am really and truly continued durward her first husband was a belmont and i am durward belmont your fourth cousin it seems jehoshaphat if this ain't curious exclaimed joel grasping durward's hand how do you do and how is your marm and do you know helene rivers durward's brow darkened as he replied in the affirmative while joel continued we are from the same town and used to think a sight of each other but when i seen her in kentucky i thought she'd got to be mighty toppin maybe though twas only my notion durward did not answer and after a little his companion said i suppose you know i sometimes take pictures for a livin i'm goin to my office now and if you'll come with me i'll take yourn for nothin bein you're related mechanically and because he had nothing else to do durward followed the young man to his office which was a dingy cheerless apartment in the fourth story of a crazy old building on the table in the centre of the room were several likenesses which he carelessly examined coming at last to a larger and richer case he opened it but instantly it dropped from his hand while an exclamation of surprise escaped his lips what's the row old feller asked joel coming forward and picking up the picture which durward had recognized as lena rivers how came you by it said durward eagerly and with a knowing wink joel replied ah no and that's enough but i must know too it is of the utmost importance that i know said durward and after a moment's reflection joel answered well i don't suppose it'll do any hurt if i tell you when i was a boy i had a hankerin for leany and didn't get over it after i was grown either so a year or two ago i thought i'd go to kentuck and see her knowin how tickled she and mrs nichols would be with a picture of their old home in the mountains i took it for em and started in albany i went to see a family that used to live in slocumville the woman was a gal with leany's mother and thought a sight of her while in the chamber where they put me to sleep was an old portrait which looked so much like leany that in the morning i asked whose it was and if you believe me twas leany's mother 
you know she married or thought she married a southern rascal who got her portrait taken and then run off and the picture which in its day was an expensive one was sold to pay up a few years afterward miss rice the woman i was telling you about came across it and bought it for a little or nothing to remember helene nichols by thanks to me nothing can please leany better than a daguerreotype of her mother so i set out with my apparatus and took it but when i come to see that there was as nigh alike as two peas i hated to give it up for i thought it would be almost as good as looking at leany so i kept it myself but i don't want her to know it for she'd be mad did you ever take a copy of this for any one asked durward a faint light beginning to dawn upon him what a feller to hang on answered joel but bein i've started i'll go it and tell the hull one morning when i was in lexington a gentleman came in calling himself mr graham and saying he wanted a copy of an old mountain house which he had seen at mr livingstone's whilst i was getting it ready he happened to come across this one and what is the queerest of all he liked to faint it away i had to throw water in his face and everything by and by he come to and says he where did you get that i told him all about it and then laying his head on the table he groaned orfully wiping off the thumpiness great drops of sweat and kissing the picture as if he was crazy maybe you knew helena nichols says i knew her yes says he jumping up and walking the room as fast all to once he grew calm as though nothing had happened and says he i must have that one or just like it at first i hesitated for i felt kinder mean always about keepin it and i didn't want leany to know i'd got it i told him so and he said nobody but himself should ever see it so i took a smaller one leavin off the lower part of the body as the dress is old-fashioned you see he was as tickled as a boy with a new top and actually forgot to take the other one of the mountain house some months after i came across him in cincinnati his wife was with him and i thought then that she looked like aunt nancy while he went with me to my office and said he wanted another daguerreotype as he'd lost the first one now i'm pretty good at figurin and i've thought that matter over till i've come to this conclusion that man was lena's father the husband or something of helene nichols but what ails you are you fainting too he exclaimed as he saw the death-like whiteness which had settled upon durward's face and around his mouth tell me more everything you know gasped durward i have told you all i know for certain said joel the rest is only guesswork but it looks plaguy reasonable leany's father i've heard was from south carolina so was mr graham said durward more to himself than to joel who continued and he's your stepfather ain't he the husband of lucy temple my cousin durward nodded and as a customer just then came in he arose to go telling joel he would see him again alone in his room he sat down to think of the strange story he had heard gradually as he thought his mind went back to the time when mr graham first came home from springfield he was a little boy then five or six years of age but he now remembered many things calculated to prove what he scarcely yet dared to hope he recalled mr graham's preparations to return when he was taken suddenly ill he knew that immediately after his recovery he had gone northward 
he remembered how sad he had seemed after his return neglecting to play with him as had been his wont and when to this he added joel's story together with the singularity of his father's conduct towards lena he could not fail to be convinced she is innocent thank heaven i see it all now fool that i was to be so hasty he exclaimed his whole being seemed to undergo a sudden change as the joyous conviction flashed upon him in his excitement he forgot his promise of again seeing joel slocum and ere the sun setting he was far on his road home occasionally he felt a lingering doubt as he wondered what possible motive his father could have had for concealment but these wore away as the distance between himself and kentucky diminished as the train paused at one of the stations he was greatly surprised at seeing john jr among the crowd gathered at the depot livingstone livingstone how came you here shouted durward leaning from the open window the cars were already in motion but at the risk of his life john jr bounded upon the platform and was soon seated by the side of durward you are a great one ain't you said he here i've been looking for you all over christendom to tell you the news you've got a new sister did you know it lena is it true is it lena said durward and john replied by relating the particulars as far as he knew them and ending by asking durward if he didn't think he was sold don't talk answered durward i want to think for i was never so happy in my life nor i either returned john jr so if you please you needn't speak to me as i wish to think too but john jr could not long keep still he must tell his companion of his engagement with nelly and he did falling asleep soon after and leaving durward to his own reflections thirty eight conclusion we hope the reader does not expect us to describe the meeting between durward and lena for we have not the least or at the most only a faint idea of what took place we only know that it occurred in the summer-house at the foot of the garden whither lena had fled at the first intimation of his arrival and that on her return to the house after an interview of two whole hours there were on her cheeks traces of tears which the expression of her face said were not tears of grief how do you like my daughter asked mr graham mischievously at the same time laying his arm proudly about her neck so well that i have asked her to become my wife and she has promised to do so provided we obtain your consent answered durward himself throwing an arm around the blushing girl who tried to escape but he would not let her holding her fast until his father's answer was given then turning to mrs graham he said now mother we will hear you kind and affectionate as she tried to be toward lena mrs graham had not yet fully conquered her olden prejudice and had the matter been left wholly with herself she would perhaps have chosen for her son a bride in whose veins no plebeian blood was flowing but she well knew that her objections would have no weight and she answered that she should not oppose him then it is settled said he and four weeks from to-night i shall claim lena for my own no not so soon after grandma's death lena said and durward replied if grandma could speak she would tell you not to wait but lena was decided and the most she would promise was that in the spring she would think about it six months said durward i'll never wait so long but he forbore pressing her further on the subject knowing that he should have her in the house with him which would in a great measure relieve the tedium of waiting during the autumn his devotion to lena furnished carrie with a subject for many ill-natured remarks concerning newly engaged people i declare 
said she one evening after the departure of Durward, Lena, and Nellie, who had been spending the day at Maple Grove, I'm perfectly disgusted, and if this is a specimen, I hope I shall never be engaged. Don't give yourself a moment's uneasiness, retorted John Jr. I've not the least idea that such a calamity will ever befall you, and years hence my grandchildren will read on some gravestone, sacred to the memory of Miss Caroline Livingstone, age seventy. In single blessedness she lived, and in the same did die. You think you are cunning, don't you? returned Carrie, more angry than she was willing to admit. She had received the news of Durward's engagement much better than could have been expected, and after a little she took to quoting and cousining Lena, while John Jr. seldom let an opportunity pass of hinting at the very recent date of her admiration for Miss Graham. Almost every day for several weeks after Durward's return he looked for a visit from Joel Slocum, who did not make his appearance until some time toward the last of November then he came claiming and proving his relationship with mrs graham who was terribly annoyed and who it was rumoured hired him to leave during the winter nothing of importance occurred if we accept the fact that a part of maple's fortune which was supposed to have been lost was found to be good and that john jr one day unexpectedly found himself to be the lawful heir of fifty thousand dollars upon mrs livingstone this circumstance produced a rather novel effect renewing in its original force all her old affection for mabel who was now our dear little meb many were the comparisons drawn between mrs john jr number one and mrs john jr number two that was to be the former being pronounced far more ladylike and accomplished than the latter who during her frequent visits at maple grove continually startled her mother-in-law elect by her loud ringing laugh for nelly was very happy her influence too over john jr became ere long perceptible in his quiet gentle manner and his abstinence from the rude speeches which heretofore had seemed a part of his nature mrs graham had proposed spending the winter in new orleans but to this durward objected he wanted lena all to himself he said and as she seemed perfectly satisfied to remain where she was the project was given up mrs graham contenting herself with anticipating the splendid entertainment she would give at the wedding which was to take place about the last of march toward the first of january the preparations began and if carrie had never before felt a pang of envy she did now when she saw the elegant trousseau which mr graham ordered for his daughter but all such feelings must be concealed and almost every day she rode over to woodlawn admiring this going into ecstasies over that and patronizingly giving her advice on all subjects while all the time her heart was swelling with bitter disappointment having always felt so sure of securing durwood she had invariably treated other gentlemen with such cool indifference that she was a favourite with but few and as she considered these few her inferiors she had more than once feared lest john jr's prediction concerning the lettering on her tombstone should prove true anything but that said she dashing away her tears as she thought how lena had supplanted her in the affections of the only person she could ever love old master atherton done want to see you in the parlor said corinda putting her head in at the door since his unfortunate affair with anna the captain had avoided maple grove but feeling lonely at sunnyside he had come over this morning to call finding mrs livingstone absent he had asked for carrie who was so unusually gracious that he wondered he had never before discovered how greatly superior to her sister she was all his favorite pieces were sung to him and then with the patience of a martyr the young lady seated herself at the backgammon board playing game after game until she could scarcely tell her men from his 
on his way home the captain fell into a curious train of reflections while carey when asked by corinda if old master was done gone sharply reprimanded the girl telling her it was very impolite to call anybody old particularly one so young as captain atherton the next day the captain came again and the next and the next until at last his former intimacy at maple grove seemed to be re-established and all this time no one had an inkling of the true state of things not even john jr who never dreamed it possible for his haughty sister to grace sunnyside as its mistress but stranger things than that had happened and were happening every day carrie reasoned as she sat alone in her room revolving the propriety of answering yes to a note which the captain had that morning placed in her hand at parting she looked at herself in the mirror her face was very fair and as yet untouched by a single mark or line she thought of him bald wrinkled fat and forty-six i'll never do it she exclaimed better live single all my days at this moment the carriage of mrs graham drew up and from it alighted lena richly clad the sight of her produced a reaction and carrie thought again captain atherton was generous to a fault he was able and willing to grant her slightest wish and as his wife she could compete with if not outdo lena in the splendour of her surroundings the pen was resumed and carrie wrote the words which sealed her destiny for life this done nothing could move her and though her father entreated her mother scolded and john jr swore it made no difference she was old enough to choose for herself she said and she had done so when mrs livingstone became convinced that her daughter was in earnest she gave up the contest taking sides with her like durward captain atherton was in a hurry and it was decided that the wedding should take place a week before the time appointed for that of her cousin determining not to be outdone by mrs graham mrs livingstone launched forth on a large scale and there commenced between the two houses a species of rivalry extremely amusing to a looker-on did mrs graham purchase for lena a costly silk mrs livingstone forthwith secured a piece of similar quality but different pattern for carrie did mrs graham order forty dollars worth of confectionery mrs livingstone immediately increased her order to fifty dollars and when it was known that mrs graham had engaged a louisville french cook at two dollars per day mrs livingstone sent to cincinnati offering three for one carrie had decided upon a tour to europe and the captain had given his consent when it was reported that durward and lena were also intending to sail for liverpool in this dilemma there was no alternative save a trip to california or the sandwich islands the former was chosen captain atherton offering to defray mrs livingstone's expenses if she would accompany them this plan carrie warmly seconded for she knew her mother's presence would greatly relieve her from the society of her husband which was not as agreeable to her as it ought to have been but mr livingstone refused to let his wife go unless anna came home and stayed with him while she was gone he accordingly wrote to anna inviting her and malcolm to be present at carrie's wedding purposely omitting the name of the bridegroom and three days before the appointed time they came it was dark when they arrived and as they were not expected that night they entered the house before any one was aware of their presence john jr chanced to be in the hall and the moment he saw anna he caught her in his arms shouting so uproariously that his father and mother at once hastened to the spot will you forgive me father anna said and mr livingstone replied by clasping her to his bosom while he extended his hand to malcolm where's carrie anna said and john jr replied 
in the parlor with her future spouse shall i introduce you so saying he dragged her into the parlor where she then recoiled in terror as she saw captain atherton oh carrie she exclaimed it cannot be that i see you again she added as she met her sister's warning look another moment and they were in each other's arms weeping bitterly the one that her sister should thus throw herself away and the other because she was wretched it was but for an instant however and then carrie was herself again playfully presenting anna to the captain she said ain't i good to take up what you left but no one smiled at this joke the captain least of all and as carrie glanced from him to malcolm she felt that her sister had made a happy choice the next day lena came overjoyed to meet anna who more than any one else rejoiced in her good fortune you deserve it all she said when they were alone and if carrie had one tithe of your happiness in store i should be satisfied but carrie asked for no sympathy it was no one's business whom she married she said and so one pleasant night in the early spring they decked her in her bridal robes and then white cold and feelingless as a marble statue she laid her hand in captain atherton's and took upon her the vows which made her his for ever a few days after the ceremony carrie began to urge their immediate departure for california there was no need of further delay she said no one cared to see lena married weddings were stupid things anyway and her mother could just as well go one time as another at first mrs livingstone hesitated but when carrie burst into a passionate fit of weeping declaring she'd kill herself if she had to stay much longer at sunnyside and be petted by that old fool she consented and one week from the day of the marriage they started in carrie's eyes there was already a look of weary sadness which said that the bitter tears were constantly welling up while on her brow a shadow was resting as if sunnyside were a greater burden than she could bear alas for a union without love it seldom fails to end in misery and thus poor carrie found it her husband was proud of her and had she permitted would have loved her after his fashion but his affectionate advances were invariably repulsed until at last he treated her with a cold politeness far more endurable than his fawning attentions had been she was welcome to go her own way and he went his each having in san francisco their own suite of rooms and setting up as it were a separate establishment in this way they got on quite comfortably for a few weeks at the end of which time carrie took it into her capricious head to return to maple grove she would never go back to sunnyside she said and without a word of opposition the captain paid his bills and started for kentucky where he left his wife at maple grove she giving as a reason that ma could not spare her yet far different from this were the future prospects of durward and lena who with perfect love in their hearts were married a week after the departure of captain atherton for california very proudly durward looked down upon her as he placed the first husband's kiss on her brow and in the soft brown eyes brimming with tears which she raised to his face there was a world of tenderness telling that theirs was a union of hearts as well as hands the next night a small party assembled at the house of mr douglas in frankfort where nelly was transformed into nelly livingstone perhaps it was the remembrance of the young girl to whom his vows had once before been plighted that made john jr appear for a time as if he were in a dream but the moment they rallied him upon the strangeness of his manner he brightened up saying that he was trying to get used to thinking that nelly was really his it had been decided that he should accompany durward and lena to europe and a day or two after his marriage he asked mr everett to go too anna's eyes fairly danced with joy as she awaited malcolm's reply 
but much as he would like to go he could not afford it and so he frankly said kissing away the big tear which rolled down anna's cheek with a smile john jr placed a sealed package in his sister's hand saying to malcolm i have anticipated this and provided for it i suppose you are aware that mabel willed me all her property which contrary to our expectations has proved to be considerable i know i do not deserve a cent of it but as she had no nearer relative than mr douglas i have concluded to use it for the comfort of his daughter and for the good of others i want you and anna to join us and i've given her such a sum as will bear your expenses and leave you more than you can earn dickering at law for three or four years so puss turning to anna it's all settled now hurrah for the sunny skies of france and italy i've talked with father about it and he's willing to stay alone for the sake of having you go oh don't thank me he continued as he saw them about to speak it's poor little meb to whom you are indebted she loved anna and would willingly have her money used for this purpose after a little reflection malcolm concluded to accept john's offer and a happier party never stepped on board a steamer than that which on the fifteenth of april sailed for europe which they reached in safety being at the last accounts in paris where they were enjoying themselves immensely a few words more and our story is told just as mr livingstone was getting tolerably well suited with his bachelor life he was one morning surprised by the return of his wife and daughter the latter of whom as we have before stated took up her abode at maple grove almost every day the old captain rides over to see her but he generally carries back a longer face than he brings the bald spot on his head is growing larger and to her dismay carrie has discovered a crow track in the corner of her eye frequently after a war of words with her mother she announces her intention of returning to sunnyside but a sight of the captain is sufficient to banish all such thoughts and thus she lives that most wretched of all beings an unloving and unloved wife during the absence of their children mr and mrs graham remain at woodlawn which as it is the property of durward will be his own and lena's home jerry langley has changed his occupation of driver for that of a brakeman on the railroad between canandaigua and niagara falls in conclusion we will say of our old friend uncle timothy that he joined the hindus as proposed was nominated for constable and sure of success bought an old gig for the better transportation of himself over the town but alas for human hopes if funded upon politics the whole american ticket was defeated at laurel hill since which time he has gone over to the republicans to whom he has sworn eternal allegiance end of chapters thirty seven and thirty eight end of lena rivers by mary jane holmes recorded by celine majeure